Welcome to the APAS Educational Group Podcast with host Andrew Pass, founder and CEO of APAS. So I'm so excited to welcome Larry Jacobs to today's podcast, the APAS Educational Group Podcast. You may hear some noise in the background, and that's because we're actually broadcasting this from the Content in Context 2016 conference put on by the American Association of Publishers. So, Larry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. Larry, I'm really intrigued with what you do regularly. Could you share a little bit of that with us? I would be delighted to do that. We do Education Talk Radio, which is on the web at education-talkradio.org. We do two to three educational podcasts a day. We like, you prefer to call them radio shows, but they are podcasts. And they're available to anyone who wants to listen. Uh, We tweet out direct links over at EduTalk Radio on Twitter. And our shows consist of uh, associations, every association in the field, educators, thought leaders, authors, etc. We interview them for about 30, 40 minutes each. So, Larry, what's interesting to me is that in your job, you hear a lot of different people talk about a lot of different things relating to the educational industry. Mm -hmm. At APAS Educational Group, we're obviously most interested in content and how content is used across the country, across the world. Mm -hmm. So from all of the radio shows that you've done, what is the most interesting thing you've ever heard about the way that content is being used? Well, I think what I hear about content is the way it's being adapted to the individual needs of the student. There's a lot of work going on with student-centered learning. And that seems to be a priority amongst school districts these days. And they're taking the content that you create, all right? And it's, it can be any type of content that there is and adapting it to the needs of the individual student and engaging that student in their own learning. And that's what I see happening with content. What organizations have been on your show that have specifically spoken about the content in this way? The organizations that you would be talking about that come on my show are the hundreds of school districts that I interview, okay? And the superintendents, the instructional coaches, the CTOs, or the uh, institutions, if I may, you can use your word, that are doing this. I think specifically of a place like Meriden, Connecticut School District, all right, who has just adopted student-centered learning and are bending their curriculum while covering standards to meet the needs of their students and the kids are incredibly happy. We heard a uh, speech here at CIC today, how kids are, uh, are are getting bored by the time they're in ninth grade. Uh, that is a God-given right to be bored by the time you're in ninth grade. I believe that's in the U.S. Constitution. Okay. Well, what I thought would have been more exciting was to hear about the school districts, which I talk to almost every day, that are doing wonderful things that, that, that the kids aren't so bored anymore because they're bending the content you create. And that's why what you do, Andy, is so important, okay? Because the companies that you work with, the publishers that you work with, are trying to find the content and the excitement within the content, okay, that allows the kids to be interested in, and as I said before, gets them, without being redundant, gets them engaged. And that conquers that boredom. So, Larry, if you were going to come up with an example right now, yeah, of something that conquers the boredom that you've heard about, what would it be? What stories have excited you over the years 
of talking to these people. Well, I, 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 I do so many shows that I'm going to do. I'm going to bring them up again. Is Meriden? I just did two shows with their superintendent and with their instructional coaches. So pardon me for re- no, repeating please. myself. Please. But they had a young lady who was engaged in photography. Her name was Avery, and she's an 11th grader. Okay, and she was getting bored with school, so they incorporated her student-centered learning and gave her a photography curriculum, so to speak, with math, with with science, with architecture, and she's doing the photography for the school district and helping all the teachers. Again, engagement, all right? That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. So am I understanding you right that the student, Avery, liked photography, and therefore the school district was basically able to use that as the center of her curriculum? Exactly. So, fascinating. And by the way, they were not neglecting any of the standards, and they weren't neglecting any of the uh, subject content. They were just incorporating her interest into what had to be taught, and that makes all the difference. Why were they doing that for this one student? Because they wanted her to succeed. You know, there's a new law called Every Student Succeeds Act, (laughs) and they're trying to make every student succeed. And I've asked the teachers on the air, you know, does this mean you have to do 150 different lesson plans? But they don't. It all comes down to a good organization and working with other teachers. As I always like to say, people don't think in 45-minute segments. They don't think, We think of yourself, Andy, you don't think about math for 45 minutes and switch to social studies. Of course not. Okay, they're together. And that's one thing schools need to learn, is that there's a great overlap between every discipline. And that's... What these school di- the, the, that's what the cutting-edge school districts are doing. It's just incredible. Now, let me give you another example. Out in um, John Carver's district, I can't think, Cresco, Iowa. Cresco, Iowa, they're taking kids, and that's a very rural part of the country. But they're teaching STEM through the use of agricultural education. That's what the kids are interested in. But the STEM, John Carver, their superintendent, likes to say, if you ever sat in an uh, international harvester combine, it's more complicated than space shuttle to get started. So the kids learn their STEM while at the same time understand these are rural kids and this is where their understanding is. So they're they're learning science, technology, engineering, math in a way that they can understand it. It's bending the agricultural content to meet the needs of all subjects. So Larry, here's a question for you. Yes. You, You know the industry as well as I do. And do you think that these stories that you're sharing are common or atypical? At this point, I think they're more common than we like to give credit for. There's a lot of school bashing and teaching bashing going on, but there are so many school districts doing so many good things all over the country, suburban, urban, and rural. And I think they're more common. I think that's what has to come out. We spend a lot of time asking ourselves questions about how we can cure challenges, but in many cases, the challenges are being overcome already. I think it's more common than people like to think. So what do you think is causing this to be more common than people like to think? People are, well, they're obviously they're listening to you in education talk radio. That's one thing, <laughs> right? But there's a commonality of thought right now that's just out there that this is not happening. And this is happening. The superintendents, which I've talked to, are absolutely wonderful. And I'm not that picky. They're usually pretty darn good the ones I talk to, and they are moving their districts to student-centered learning, to STEM learning, again, student-centered, to personalized learning, etc., and giving teachers the leeway they need for the most part. There's probably a few few schleppy districts out there, but a smart superintendent and a smart staff and wonderful teachers can make it happen with a minimum 
of dollars being spent at an economy of scale that makes sense for the district. And it's happening. That's exciting. What making me think it's good. is I want to find these stories aggregated together so that like Well then you have to listen to Education Talk Radio. <laughs> what is the website again for it's education dash talk radio dot org. <laughs> a, a vicious plug. <laughs> yeah. That just sounds awesome. So when it comes to teachers, the teachers who you've interviewed, yeah. what characteristics do you see among those who are most driven to make these changes? Why them and not others? I think it's, again, it goes back to the way the district handles itself. If the district treats a teacher like a professional and allows them to do what they need to do, and many of the teachers are doing their professional development through Twitter and EdChat and all those sort of things and are getting the ideas. You know, I always kid when I was a teacher, I didn't even know what the other teachers in the department were doing. Now you know what teachers are doing in Iowa, regardless of if you're teaching in Arkansas or Maine. Okay, so the ideas are flowing, and if a teacher who is a professional, a college-trained professional, they're not schleps, a college-trained professional, I agree. I know you do, a college, I'm I'm preaching to the choir, I assume, they get it, and given the leeway to do it, and the understanding of a good superintendent, that makes all the difference in the world. I hope I answered that question. You did, so let me ask you another question. If the system is much better than people give it credit for what would you say the greatest challenge affecting the system is? There's two challenges the way I see it. One is getting the word out. There are good things going on out there, and we have to make sure people understand it. News by its nature is bad. That's what people want to watch the news for, Just look at the news at any night. Exactly. Exactly. It, it's bad. You look at the weather, there's always a hurricane coming. They never say, they're never trying to get you in because it's a sunny day. That doesn't get you going. It's the hurricane. <laughs> it's coming. a sunny day today. Yeah, that, the, the hurricane that might come up, that gets you. So I, so I think, I, I, what was your question again? So what are the problems that are affecting Well, I think oh, that, that problem, I think it's communication with the community, okay, getting the word out that things are good. And the other thing is we have to, I believe, and I'm talking about educational technology, we have to make a basic change in the system that was created almost 200 years ago. Eight to three system, and let's take the summers off to go harvest. I know how old you are. You know how old I am, Andy, and none of us have ever gone home for the summer to go harvest. (laughs) So the time has come to make some changes. And with educational technology, learning can be 24-7, 365. I'm not encouraging that for kids, but my point is they can learn all the time. And we're not bound by the classroom. We're not bound by those hours. That's a change that I believe in. That, to me, is the biggest challenge, is to really uproot the system. And I have to say this. There are 12,000 school districts in this country. None of them are doing that. They need to make change. And I said this to you earlier. One basic thing about everybody knows this. It's neuroscience. Kids learn better when they're not tired, especially adolescent kids. They need to start school later. Every school district in the country knows that fact. And nobody does it. We've got to make a basic change. So, if I'm hearing what if I'm hearing what you're saying, Glenn, I'm, I'm a revolutionary. I'm a, I'm not the Nikolai Lenin of education. <laughs> but it seems like you're saying that there's some really good things. There's some great things. And then there are some things that need to change. Yeah, of course. And if you listen to the typical person comment on American school systems, they're terrible. They're the worst. Well, they're so, not the worst. Exactly. Which is what you're saying is that they're not the worst. They're not the worst. We're, we're somewhere in the middle where right. there are some good things happening and other things need to improve. Exactly. And one of the, 
one of the things when we do the worst, the best, and all that, we measure ourselves against Finland. Finland is like measuring us against Massachusetts. That's not the sets apples to oranges. We are an incredibly diverse urban, rural, suburban country, as opposed to a very homogeneous one like Singapore, like Finland. And we have got to make sure that we got to don't complain about those numbers. We have to make every school equal. It can't be education by zip code. Here in Philly, my hometown, where we are right now, the schools are always fighting an uphill battle. They, they're losing this uphill battle. It's not just the schools, though. It's the students within, and it's not the quality of the teachers. It's the or, or the superintendent is wonderful, Bill Height. It's a they're they're fighting an urban system, and they have to make a change and make a real difference to make these schools work. Because the potential we're losing is disgusting. These kids have great potential. I think if I can put what you're saying into my own words, certainly which, you can. That's what you're supposed to do. Which yeah. I think is totally true, is that you know it'd be really easy for the American test scores to be as high as Finland. All you have to do is take every inner city and every zip code that's poor and disqualify of them course. from the test. Then we're Finland. Exactly. Then we're Finland, but we're not Finland. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're not Finland, and I don't want to be Finland. No, okay. That's why we're special. But we we have because to we're get the potential of every kid. We can do that. We just have to figure out the magic answer, and the magic answer is community support and new ideas and a different type of system. That to me is what it's going to work. And I think no matter what content you develop or do, you're going to run into problems without your phrase. You can do that if the if the teachers, if the students. If the administrators are not confident, then it's not going to work. That's and right. So we need to support those people. We need to support them. And there's another side to that. We need to understand why we're supporting them. Same way. Why we're supporting them. And if people don't understand how important education is, I, I can sum this up here in Philly. I have good friends who live in South Philly, which when I was a kid was not a great neighborhood. Now it's a very high-priced neighborhood. And my friends were telling me, and they're older, that people, the young couples move in. They pay $500,000 for a small house, but it's an inner city house that they love and they have access to everything. They have children. They move out. They go to the suburbs. Yeah. Okay. And that's not good. That's not healthy for the city of Philadelphia or for the kids. It's terrible. Yeah. In fact, my city of Detroit is finally getting to the point where it's being rejuvenated and people are moving in. Instead of what happened for so many years, right. moving out. But, they, but and people are moving into Philly, but they have to stay for the schools. Because schools, the first question that anybody asks any realtor is, how are the schools? That's the first question when people are buying a house. And if we don't make the schools better, the whole economy of a town or city or whatever goes. It's that simple. We have to, we have to invest in schools. And I have to say something else. The commonality that everyone has is education. Everybody went K went through K-12, even though, but it's a commonality, yet we have to beg for every single dollar from government. There is not a single parent who doesn't want their kids to do better than they did, and that's education. That, that costs money. We have to pay for that. It's a sad statement when you think about where teachers are in the respect of Respect spectrum, if you will. Oh, it's disgusting. Or how difficult yeah. it is to get and, and money And it's a misnomer because most teachers, I mean, certainly there are bad teachers, but for the most part, teachers are pretty good. And they're professionals. And the teacher bashing has to stop and to build up. But that's communications. It's from the school district to the community. And that's where that lags.
that's where that lag is. So, Larry, I've been asking a lot of questions. Yes. And we're about 17 minutes into this. We'll end at about 20 minutes. But my question for you is, have I not asked you any questions that you wish I had that you'd like to give an answer to in response to this conversation that we're having? Uh, no, I think you've done a pretty good job, actually. You've got my agenda up, which is good, and I'm able to uh, get these points across when I talk to all these school districts. I mean, I, I just think we've got to stop asking questions and we've got to start finding answers. And I think those answers lie in changing the system. We used to all have landlines, have phone books, and we don't have that anymore. We changed the system. And yes. we've got to do the same for education. We have, Not just the learning side of it, but the system. Because that's that's why Russia fell. Yeah, because they, 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 the, the system system. didn't work. You got to change it. You know, the largest educational publisher. I should say Soviet Union. Excuse me. No letters, please. <laughs> yeah. The largest educational publisher in the world, I believe, is Pearson. I would say so. Pearson started as a construction company. I didn't know that. So you can see that they just evolved. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and I can't remember what company it was. But they started in something totally different. So your point about changing and adapting is, I think, completely accurate. And, and I have to say, Pearson is still construct, constructing, but instead of uh, buildings, they're constructing brains. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the same. It's, it's all about construction. you got to stop the destruction and construct. So let me just say, yes. Larry, thank you very much. Very much. Thank you, host Andy. I appreciate I'm, that. I'm actually kind of excited. I mean, you're the one who always interviews. I know. And it was here fun. I got to do it. How did I do as an interviewee? Was I, thought, I good? Was I, I good? Let's hear it from the audience was, here. A little round was, of applause. You, you can hear those applause from afar. Right. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast from APAS Educational Group. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this APAS podcast. APAS Educational Group partners with organizations to develop customized content. Our more than 1,100 associates include writers, editors, subject matter experts, instructional designers, artists, and production team members. APAS develops courses, lesson plans, assessment items, textbooks, passages, learning objects, and more. When we partner with an organization, our goal is to bring our clients' visions to life. We take your specifications and objectives, make them our own, and become your back office content development center. Thank you.